Hi, thank you for listening to Trinity San Diego Podcast. If this is your first time tuning in with us, we want you to know that you are loved. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope that this message will encourage you. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, you can partner with us to reach others by investing at trinitysandiego.org. Thanks once again. Now here's Pastor Todd. So, um... Today, if you have your Bibles, turn in to Colossians uh, chapter 3, verse 15. Uh, let's give it up for our Facebook fam today. Come on. We love you, Facebook family from all over the world. Thank you. Uh, we have people that tune in. I mean, Pastor Bob and Claudia tuned in, and I think in like Switzerland. It's awesome. But I'm uh, grateful Pastor Bob and Claudia are back, our founding pastors. Uh, we miss them. Um, yeah, we're so happy you're back. But uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to Colossians 3, verses 5, verse 15. A little bit of a background in our text today. Uh, Paul wrote uh, this letter because he heard some concerning doctrinal issues that were happening in the church in uh, Colossae. And basically, it's unclear if Paul actually ever uh, went to Colossae, or if this was a church plant that came out of Paul's ministry in Ephesus. It's unclear about that in my study. Maybe you have something that can prove me right or prove me wrong. That's fine. Uh, Let's talk about it. But uh, we can identify with this book because it's kind of progressive. And specifically, it's talking about living in in chapter 3, living as those made alive in Christ. And how many want to be alive in Christ? Amen? You don't want to be dead in Christ. You want to be alive in Christ. And, and, and I believe that we are alive and vibrant when we have him living inside of us. And so uh, we, can, we just gain some insight and some, um, and some understanding based upon, especially chapter 3, but, but this particular verse uh, in verse 15. It will also be on your screens. Uh, it says, let the peace, everyone say peace, of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace. Oh, and be thankful. And be thankful. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm thankful. You don't have to, it doesn't have to be thanksgiving to be thankful. Uh, let me read that again. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of one body you are called to peace. And be thankful. Today, if you're taking notes, the title of my message is The Pathway to Peace. The Pathway to Peace. And I believe that this is something everyone's seeking. Um, and the pathway to peace is, is going to be a really important factor. And I'm going to give you some tools. I want to give you some hope today in how to live a peaceful life. How many want a peaceful life? Amen. I mean, we have trouble and turmoil all around us. Just look at our world today. But we have an opportunity to live in a, in this, on this pathway of peace. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We're so grateful for you. We're grateful that you are not far off, that you're right here. Um, that that you are right within our grasp. And we're thankful that you have um, just allowed us to be in your presence today. What a gift. God, I pray today that as I preach this message, let this not be my words, but your words. And let ears open, hearts open, eyes open to what you have for us. God, let us not think about our neighbor that needs this or our spouse that needs this or our coworker that needs this. Let us take this to heart today so we can become more like you because you are the Prince of Peace. We love you, Lord. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. Thank you, Alan. How many have ever gone hiking? Like hiking, like, you know, you don't have to be like a real hiker, like going to like these crazy areas and doing like these, like you, have, you don't have to have boots 
to hike. Um, you know, you get, you get my drift. Uh, I like to hike, and it hasn't been since moving to San Diego. When we lived in Washington, no one wanted to hike, or at least I didn't want to hike because I didn't want to walk around the mountains in rain. That just doesn't seem a pleasing, you know, appealing to me. I don't like that. I like the sun, so in the summer it would be okay. But uh, we have so many great places to hike here in, in San Diego, don't we? We have like Los Pen Canyon, uh, just to name a few, Iron, Iron Mountain. We have uh, uh, Potato Chip Rock. I only like to do that one if I'm just a glutton for punishment, and I don't do the five-mile one. I do the two-mile one so I can be done in an hour and a half. Amen. Uh, Twin Peaks. I know Lucas has done Twin Peaks over here. Uh, or maybe you like Tory Pines. Who, any Tory Pines fans? Yes, I love, Katie and I, our favorite hike is Tory Pines. Um, it's because it's beautiful, and it's breathtaking, and then there's the hike. You get my drift? Katie's beautiful and breathtaking. Oh, come on. You guys got to be with me today. Come on. You, you know what? Two weeks ago, you guys would have been all over that. I don't know what's happened. Anyways, anyways, but it's beautiful. It's breathtaking. We talk on that hike. Um, we uh, pray on that hike. We pray for you on that hike. Sometimes we get text messages while we're on that hike, and immediately we're praying. We're praying for our community on that hike. We'll talk about our marriage. We'll talk about insecurities. We take the mask off in front of each other because it's important in our marriage to make sure that we are clear and we are honest and we have that availability. But one thing I notice about going to Torrey Pines is when you par- we park down below. We're cheap. Um, we're not the people that pay and drive up and then, and then go up there. You get my drift. We park down below on the beach, and then we walk that, you know, because then it ups our steps too. But we walk that, and then we go up the big mountain, and then we get to the top of Torrey Pines, and then we hike all through the trails. But one thing I've noticed about Torrey Pines is what? They have pathways that you walk on. That they have pathways. The reason they have a pathway is so that I can have peace on my journey. What happens if I get off the pathway of that, of that area. I, can, I could roll my ankle. I could fall down on a cliff. I could go and see a snake. You, you know, I, I asked the volunteer lady there uh, about a month ago. I said, hey, uh, has there been any snakes recently? She says, we see about one a day. They typically come out to get out in the sun, but, you know, just keep your distance. And I said, I heard there was a bite here a, a year ago last summer. And she goes, yeah, there was a bite. And I said, how did that happen? Tell me about it. And she said, well, the lady was wearing flip-flops on the trail, and she actually went off the path in order, to go, in order to go see some other things and go be more scenic. And the idea, the whole idea is there's a path there for a reason, right? The path is to give you the most peaceful way of going about visiting Torrey Pines and having the greatest experience. That path is the roadmap to having a peaceful journey. And Paul here is encouraging the Colossians saying that that if we stay on God's pathway, peace is sure to follow. If we stay on our own pathway, guess what? Or we get off the pathway, we are in a world of hurt. If you look at a few verses earlier, Okay, because Paul's giving this roadmap and he's giving this this, these few verses in Colossians 3, 5. And this is what he's saying that, that we need to get rid of in order to have peace. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. Okay, if that didn't get you right there, then he goes to Colossians 3, 8. It says, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things, anger, rage, malice, slander, or, and filthy language from your lips. I think Paul kind of got us all in that list, would you say? I mean, maybe I'll just be real, and maybe he's gotten me in there. 
and maybe you're holy and you got it all together. Well, I, good job. Uh, I am just going to be honest as the pastor of this house. Uh, he's got me, you know. I mean, road rage is a real thing sometimes, people. We live in San Diego. Freeways are crazy, okay? But, I mean, th this is the thing, though. I'm not saying this in order for you to be perfect. It's, you cannot obtain perfection. But our goal in our goal in how we are to live is to live within these boundaries. These boundaries create peace. These boundaries create life. These boundaries help us when it says, rid your things of all the sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry, and, and anger and rage. And so we're on this pathway, we're on this journey, so to speak, in a, in a way that we're trying to get to uh, what we want to see and what we see in Jesus. So let me, let me just clear the air. No one has it together in this room. Okay, so let's stop pretending that, you know, someone is perfect in this room. Don't look at the pulpit and say, oh, he must have it all together. No, no, I'm, I get anxious. I get frustrated. I talk really loud sometimes to my kids. That makes me feel better when I say it that way. <laughs> you get my drift? You know, I mean, let's just be honest. Let's be real. No one has it all together. I'm, I, I, churches, I think a lot, a lot of times think we have to fit in this box and then we're good. But let me tell you, we're all broken. We're all hurting. We all need each other. Look at your neighbor and say, I need you. Oh, wow, that sounded pitiful. Look at your, your other neighbor and say, I need you. And I think that, that, that we get in this whole idea that, that life is a sprint. And really, life is a marathon. Life is a marathon. If you look at Hebrews 12.1 in the English Standard Version, it says, therefore, everyone say, therefore. Since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which, we, which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that has been set before us. And what happens with us is we treat life like a sprint when it's actually a marathon, and we train like a sprinter for the marathon. I was a runner, uh, a sprinter. Not a very good one. Um, I actually went out for shot put and discus and javelin because I was um, a football player and they thought that's what I'd be good at. And I, they, they had the throwers do a, a sprinter workout, so I went and did that. And they, they said, wow, you're actually decently fast. My fastest time in the 100 meter was 11.5. And I'm pretty proud of that. Uh, that was in high school. If you asked me to run it now, I'd probably pull a hammy. Anyways, um, <laughs> but, but one, one thing we would do is we'd train. And you train as a sprinter, meaning you train your fast twitch muscles to do things what? Fast. And you train that way in order for your body, in order to have maximum productivity inside of your body when you are doing the sprint. And a lot of us treat life like a sprint that we, when we look at our problems, we're looking at them as a sprint rather than a marathon. We got to look at our life as a marathon because every once in a while, our track coach, he would say, hey, you guys go run with the marathoners, the marathoners are going to run, or not marathoners, but the long distance guys and gals, they're going to run a sprint workout. You're going to run a distant workout. And so he'd make us run 3,200 meters, which is two miles. And so I would be sucking wind about the first lap, and I'd be asking for Jesus to come back because it was so painful. But one thing I, I think about life is I think that we are training ourselves in how to deal with situations, and we're training like a sprinter, not a marathon runner. That when things are going good, because this is the thing about a marathon runner or a long-distance runner, they don't sprint out of the gate right away to get ahead. 
What they do is they pace themselves in the, in, throughout the, the race. Some, and then they wait for themselves to make a move. They find a space to make a move so they can be victorious, right? They don't, and so they just pace themselves. And what they do is they drag on the person that's in front of them. They're allowing the wind of the person that's in front of them to be blocked so that they can save their endurance to get to the place that they need to go. And I think some of us, we need to go and we are training our life like a sprint. So when crisis occurs... We sprint to the nearest church, right? When crisis occurs, we sprint to the nearest church. We, we pray when we're only desperate. When we're only desperate, we're like, God, I'm desperate for you. I need you to move. And then when he gives you victory, we're like, that was good. That was good. I'm good with victory. We don't give him glory in the victory, but yet we sit on our knees when we're in defeat. We only pl play worship music in the car when it calms us. When we need to be calmed, our spirit needs to be calmed. And I'm not saying that it's not good to do that. I'm saying you need to do it consistently. Because you can't ha just train for the sprint and the problem without realizing that there's a marathon that's like, that just because you're in one problem and you're, or maybe you're out of that problem does not mean that you're not walking into another one. I hate to be the bearer of bad news. You got to keep on going. Like Katie said, little by little, little by little. But it's a marathon, this thing called life. We read our Bibles because we're waging war within us. We, we, we do so many things in the valley, but we forget about the moments in the mountaintop. When we're pray we should be praising God on the mountaintop and also praying in the valley. We need to train life like a marathon, not a sprint. And you see, training is a process. Training is something that it hurts at first. Katie recently started to work out again. I'm happy about that. We have fun. And uh, she recently started to work out. And the first workout that we did, uh, the first one she did, she was like, that was easy. I said, okay. <laughs> and so we went and did another workout that same day. And uh, she couldn't walk for a week, and I slept on the couch. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> she was not happy with me because the pain of the beginning point, it's always the pain of starting. But now I ask her every day, hey, are you sore? No, not at all. Are you sore? No, not at all. Are you, 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 know, you, you see how that works? The more you train, the easier it becomes. It becomes more of a routine. So when desperate times come in my way, I'm already in this book. It's already in my heart. I already know how to live. Because so many times what we do is we go, oh, I need God to show up. And then we're going, we're searching for answers. We're looking every which way. And we, Oh, Job. Job's a good one when problems arise. We need to be people that are in this when it's good and when it's bad. Training for a marathon not just a sprint. So I want to give you two ways on the pathway to peace. Can I do that? Yeah. Are you with me? Yeah. So, number one, our attitude is our paintbrush. Our attitude is our paintbrush. Philippians 2, 14 and 15 says, do everything without grumbling or arguing. Shoot. Oh, I just did it. <laughs> uh, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you, will shine, then you will shine among them like the stars in the skies. Philippians 2.5, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So the pathway to peace, I think, begins with our attitude. It begins with our attitude. And so it got real quiet because I know I'm preaching good. And what picture are we painting 
with our attitude. What picture are we painting with our attitude? Because think about it for a moment. our, Our life begins to paint a picture based upon the attitude that we have. We make statements like this. This, uh, this is as good as it's going to get. How many have ever said that at least once? This is as good as it's going to get. Oh, I can't get free from that. It's been, it's been on me so long, I can't get free from that. Or things like, oh, I, I, I just can't get out of this rut. I'm stuck in this rut. I'm stuck here. I can't go anywhere. I'm stuck. I'm trapped. I'm in a, a place of, of, of where I'm bound up. Or I'm never moving forward. I'm always going to be stuck here. My circumstances are so big, yet I am so small. And friends, I think we need to change our perspective because you don't serve a small God, you serve a big God. And so oftentimes we talk about our problems like they're big, and then we talk about our God like he's small. Well, we need to flip our perspective and talk about our God as big as he is and magnify him rather than going and magnifying the circumstances that we're walking through. Charles Swindoll has this quote. It's one of my favorites. It's how I try to live my life. I get a lot of people to go, well, you're pretty positive when things go awry. Um, Yeah, I try to be. It's not always easy. Ask my wife. But it says life is is 10% what happens to us, 90% how you react to it. I used to tell my football players all the time, you have an opportunity every single time because you're going to face adversity in a football game. You're going to face adversity in life. And you have an opportunity to to, to play on the one string that you have, and that's your attitude. I can't control circumstances at times. I can't control finances at times, but I can control my attitude in that circumstance. I can control my attitude in my place of business or in my work. I can control my attitude when I go to the store. I can control my attitude when I talk to my barista. I can uh, control my attitude when my wife is upset with me. I can control that. And we wonder why our problems are so big because what we do is we flip it around. We think, is, is, we think life is 90% what, what we happen and 10% how we react to it. It's your response that is triggered in how you respond. And so how are you painting the masterpiece of your life through your attitude? Is it the same as Christ Jesus? I'd venture that mine's not always that, just to be honest. Uh, it's it, it struggled for me sometimes. And, and really, uh, when, when I was a basketball coach, or a, a football coach, not really a football coach, but more basketball, our high school basketball coach, when I was at, he taught me this. And he said, put a rubber band around your wrist. And it was during basketball practice. And he'd say, anytime you made a, you made a mistake, grab that rubber band. And don't like, it's not like self-mutilation, like you're like really trying to hurt yourself. It's just to snap your wrist to remind you of the mistake that you did. And so I would venture to say, maybe you should put a rubber band around your wrist and put it around your wrist. And every time your response is some way, snap it and see how many times your attitude dictates your life, right? It's just a practical, simple thing, like meaning how you respond to your spouse when your spouse says something that should be your trigger, right? Honestly, or how when your kids decide to go crazy, and they get the crazy eyes, and they're running around screaming, and they're throwing things, and you're, you want to go just crazy on them. You just want to yell. And you know what? Maybe you should reverse it and say, you know what? I love you. Let's have a different response there. See how different life would be, honestly. Because I think that when we do that, when we start to focus on our attitude, our circumstances begin to change. Because you can't change 
I said this before, I think I said it a week ago. You can't change the problem with the same mind that created it. So thus, what you need to do is we, not you, we, because I'm in this too. I'm not preaching at you. I'm with you what I'm preaching here. And what I'm understanding is that, that my attitude at times needs to shift and my perspective needs to shift because I need to change my perspective on many different ways because it's a part of my attitude. Everyone look at your neighbor and say, attitude. So what good would it be if I were to give you, say, change your attitude, but I didn't support it by some scripture? These are just paraphrases. But as you think, so you are. Ooh, that's not good. As you think, so you are. You wonder why your problems are always problems. It's because you're thinking about your problems, and therefore you operate in your problems. If you think on things of Christ, you probably don't think about your problems as much because you're elevating your level of thinking to the person that can actually change it. But so often we elevate our problems and we demote our God. And that can't be a way that works out. And we wonder why we're not at peace. To think on things of Him, Philippians 4.8. Renew our minds, Romans 12.2. No spirit of fear, Philippians, or I'm sorry, 2 Timothy 2.7. We need to change our perspective with our attitude because our attitude is our paintbrush of our life. Number two, what we magnify becomes bigger. What we magnify becomes bigger on the pathway to peace. Colossians 3.15 says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace, and be thankful. That's our original passage of Scripture. Well, if you want peace, you need to let God rule in your heart, right? If you want peace, let God rule in your heart. The word rule in the Greek is brab brabio. Everyone say brabio. brabio. That means to act as an umpire. And what we've been doing is we have been allowing ourselves to, to call the balls and strikes of our own life rather than allowing God to change it. And we magnify what we are allowing the balls and strikes to be in comparison to allowing God to call the balls and strikes of our life. And so, um, meaning we've been magnifying the wrong things. And so I have just this quick illustration. We magnify, I don't want to spell, spelling is like, one of those freaky things, right? If you do it wrong, especially in front of people. Uh, but this first word, I'm going to start really simple. It's a word. Anyone can read that? Fear. Okay. A lot of us, I want to make sure I have this the right way. Okay. Is it the right way? Can you see it, Pastor Bob? No. It's the light. Light. There you go. So what happens is so many times what we do is we focus like this on our fear. We magnify the problem of our life. We put this in front of the very thing that we are um, frustrated with. We, we magnify things like worry. Right? We put that and we go, oh, I'm so worried. I'm so worried. Well, you're so worried because you're putting a magnifying glass on your worry. You're, you're, you're so, uh, let's see. We, you know what? This is one that, that kind of success. We magnify success in our culture. And so what we do is we put a magnifying glass on success in our culture and we go and we look at it. This is another one. Money. We magnify that all the time. Oh, I don't have enough money. And so we're focused so much on this. And what does Paul say that money is? Paul say money is greed, and you need money. Money is a resource, it's a tool. But what it says in that, in that uh, Colossians 3, uh, 3, 5, it says, which is greed, or um, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. We put this in our culture, and we magnify money, 
and we're forgetting, what, or we're wondering why we don't have peace because we're going here, 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 here. Our magnifying glass is triggering everything else that is, that is contradictory to what we need to really be magnifying, and we need to be magnifying J-E-S-U-S. And we need to look at Him, because when we look at Him and we magnify Him and we see that, things begin to shift. Fear gets smaller. Worry gets smaller. Success, we aren't worried about keeping up with the Joneses and everybody else around us. What we're doing is we, we, when we focus on Him, all this stuff goes down. But what we've been doing so long is, you've been, is we've been taking things like fear, Worry, anxiety, success, achievement, inadequacy, culture, doubts, weakness, image, comparison, money. We've been magnifying everything like that. And we have forgot that the very nature of what we need to magnify is Jesus. Because the more we magnify Him in our circumstances, everything else goes away. In process. In process. Now I'm not saying that you won't have problems ever. Because that's contradictory. The Bible says that in this world you have trouble, but yet He has come to help us through our trouble. And when we focus on Him all the time, and when, when everything's good, we focus on Jesus. When everything's bad, we focus on Jesus. When our kids are acting crazy, focus on Jesus. When we aren't getting any sleep, we focus on Jesus. When, we, when we're struggling with our finances, we focus on Jesus. When we're, when we're struggling in our job, we focus on Jesus. When we struggle finding a job, we focus on Jesus. When we struggle with our image, we focus on Jesus. The more you do that, you're creating not a sprint mentality. You're creating a marathon mentality that you're saying, whatever the enemy is going to get at me, I have a Jesus that can save my soul, that can take care of me, that can stand with me, that can love me, that can care for me all the steps of the way because you're focusing on Jesus. On Jesus. And I think that we, what we've done is we've held on to a lot of this stuff. And this water bottle, how much do you think it weighs? You know, does it weigh a pound, two pounds? I mean, it says 16 ounces, but I mean, is that weight? I don't know. Anyways, uh, that's not the point. But what if I hold this for an hour? Do you think I can hold it for an hour? I can hold it probably for an hour. Do you think I can hold it for two hours? What about four hours? If I just hold it. It's not, I'm not talking about drinking it while I'm holding it. I'm just talking about holding this little weight in my hand. Could I hold, do you think, what would happen if I held it for 24 hours? Think my heart, my arm would start to hurt? Okay, what, what if I went to 48 hours? Or 72 hours? Do you think eventually my arms would be so tired? I mean, think about Moses when he had to have, he had, to have people holding his arms up. But if I'm just holding this water bottle. And this is so insignificant. So many of us, we drink out of these all the time. Unless you're an environmental person, you have your own, you know, that you carry around. Lucas? <laughs> Anyways. Uh, <laughs> love you. But if I carry this around for 24 hours, guess what? It's going to start to hurt. 48 hours, 72 hours. And this is what's been happening with a lot of us. When we first started off, it was something so insignificant. A water bottle for the first hour is very insignificant. But what I've done, if I hold on to this for 24 hours, the pain arises even more. And some of us have held on to the money because we've magnified the money. We've held on to success, achievement, worry, fear. And there are things that you should have let go a long time ago. 
down there. But what you've been doing is you've been holding on to it. And you've created a level of pain in your own circumstance, in your own life, that you weren't supposed to carry. Because you've been holding on to that fear, that wondering of what people will think of you. You've been worried about stepping out in faith. You've been worried about making a difference. You've been worried about joining a connect group. You've been worried about getting involved in church. You've been worried about going and making a difference in your community. And you've been holding on to something that you probably, that created pain in your life that probably should have been released. And I believe that today's a Freedom Sunday. I believe that there are things in this house today that people need to get free of. That you've been holding on to it so long that it's disrupted your peace all along the way. All along the way. And you're wondering why you're not on the pathway of peace. It's because you've got off the pathway and you're on to the back country and you've lost your way because you've been holding on to something that you weren't meant to carry. And if you just sit down for a moment and look at him, look at him, look at him. Sometimes what I like to do when I worship is I simply look up. I look up. Because what happens is I'm not looking around to my neighbor, even though I know my wife or my neighbor is standing right next to me worshiping. But I look up because then I realize the magnitude of what I'm doing that I'm not looking around at my circumstances, I'm looking up to my Savior. And we need to look up to our Savior a lot more than we do. We need to start magnifying Him and getting the magnifying glass off of our circumstances and on to our Savior. That is the only pathway to peace. It's the only way that I've found, and I'm still on that pathway, and I get off the pathway from time to time, I get bitten, and I roll my ankle, and it's not fun, but yet I have to refocus and reframe and go, my pathway to peace is only found in Him, because I've tried to do it through fear, through worry, through success, through money. It won't work that way. It only can work through Jesus. If you would, bow your heads, close your eyes.